This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. We have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that record the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My amazing co-host today is a very, look at how purple it is. No, Very purple. It's very cool. Okay. And our guest today is Christopher Smith. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Um, Let's talk about what we're drinking. So I had to take my puppy to the vet to get spayed this morning, by the way. If you are not breeding your animals, make sure they're spayed and neutered. Um, But I went to Starbucks. So when I got home, I put a bunch of Baileys in this. So it's... um, it is a latte, but with a bunch of Baileys. You're welcome, world. Thank you. And I can wake up because we're recording in the morning. Um, Bo, what do you got for us today? Well, it is, as you said, morning. So I just have coffee. But luckily, unlike yesterday, it is still hot. Oh, very, very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Chris, what are you drinking this morning? I'm already several cups of coffee deep. So I figured I'd switch it up to uh, my my main drink, Diet Dr. Pepper. And then my wife stepped around the corner and caught me loading it up with rum. She said, it's 9 a.m. I said, yeah, it's 9 a.m. Hey, Perfect it's time to start. 5 p.m. somewhere. Isn't that what people say? 6 p.m. somewhere? Yeah. Whatever that, that phrase is. Whatever the phrase is. So, Chris, for the audience that may not know you, what do you write? Uh, books. Oh, good. Lots okay, and good. lots of books. Uh, I write uh, primarily sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and humor. I also write some nonfiction and kind of some stuff outside of there, but I could never quite pick a niche and stick to it. So I picked a whole slice of the pie and I try and bounce around inside of that. I see. I see. I see. So um, let's, uh, we met at a con, go team. That's how we, we met you. Um, Columbus. You, yep. Yeah. Yes. Yes. When did you start writing? Let's go there. I'm bouncing all over the place this morning. Is my coffee? Well, I, I, I like to tell people that uh, I, rather than saying I'm a writer, I tell people I'm a storyteller because I think I probably the first time I decided I was going to be a storyteller, I was very young and uh, got caught doing something wrong and found out that hey, if you tell a little story, you can kind of get out of it. You know, make up a little excuse and. Uh, so I remember, okay, I remember writing uh, writing stories as a kid. I did a lot of like um, RPG gaming and stuff in high school. In addition to writing some short stories, uh, kind of started writing in earnest in in college, and uh, kind of learned that I had a lot more to learn. And uh, it was it was post college. I started working on um, on a fantasy novel, which did get picked up with uh, with a publisher. Uh, I don't even I don't even sell that and bring it to me at my con shows anymore because my writing has vastly improved, and I have so many other books that honestly sell a lot better um, and kind of more well known for. And uh, so, but I kind of started writing. I think that one came out probably about early two thousands, and. Um, I sat writing down for a while, worked on some uh, some post-grad stuff, and I uh, was in the in the job field for a long time and kind of thought, eh, 
I'm going to sit down and kind of just dab a little more, come back to writing. I was doing a lot of nonfiction kind of stuff at the time. And, and uh, it was like, oh man, I forgot how much I love this. And uh, so I started, you know, went from, I think my first novel took me like three years to write. And now I, I think, uh, so I've, I've been up and writing since about 6 a.m. I think I'm at in the last two weeks ish. I think I'm at about 80,000 words. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond 80,000 words in about two weeks. So once you figure out your process and lean into it, you can, you can write a lot more, a lot faster. I mean, they're not 80,000 good words, but they're, they're there. Oh, I like it. I like it. No, that's awesome. So you started getting published with a traditional publisher. Yes. Do you still publish with a traditional or do you sell? I'm, I'm a little of both. I'm, there are traditional publishers I would be open to. A lot of them also that I wouldn't be. Uh, I'm I'm pretty distinguishing. Like, uh, oh, there's the big uh, um, uh, um, ally, um, the Alliance of Independent Authors, which I am a member of. And uh, they did that big survey and they discovered indies make more money than traditional published guys. And uh, which I've been telling people for a while. Uh, was it last summer? I think Stephen King was like, I think it was like a congressional hearing or something for um for a lot of the monopolies forming out of the big five publishing companies and they're like and he had on the you know under oath it said yeah hardly anybody's selling more than a hundred copies even you know the big they're rolling out hundreds of thousands of dollars marketing and some of these things and they sell a hundred copies and that's why you see them two years later in the dollar store uh you know hardcover novels like oh i remember hearing about this and apparently nobody read it um, well, you know, it's interesting because um, I think it was BookScan put out a thing in, uh, I want to say October, but I don't, because I sent it out yeah. to everybody, I think it was October, but BookScan did the top 10 publishers, right? And 65%, 15% of them sold less than 12 copies. I don't know how they came up with 12. I'm sure there's a math algorithm, but less than 12. And then something like, 55% of them sold less than uh, between 12 and a thousand. I'm using quotations. And so when you look at that and you go, um, they don't help authors for the most part. And I say traditional because, um, and there's traditional and then there's current publishers. And so there are small to medium presses. I know I own a medium press that are, doing the traditional publishing route, meaning they're doing everything, but they're doing it differently. So I don't, you know, there's a distinguishing from Harper Collins or Simon, Simon and Schuster or something like that. And then the what publishing paid me movement that was like three years ago, which you can look up this hashtag, showed a very different side of publishing and what publishers were paying people. And I agree. I think being with a newer publisher or being independently published, if you know how to do it, you can definitely make a lot more money. But it does take getting your brand together, getting all that, and not paying for ads. It just takes getting your platform mm -hmm. set up and knowing how to connect and finding your audience. You can't just throw a book up on Amazon and hope to God that it goes somewhere, right. you know? And it used to be that you could, and uh, a lot of people think got started. I kind of got started in that era, and um, you know, but I had I had a traditional contract with somebody at that time, and so I didn't learn those tools until later. And uh, mm -hmm. now, I mean, I mean, I, I do a ton of shows. I mean, I'm at uh, more probably seventy five percent of all the weekends out of the year. I'm at a con somewhere, uh, or 
at a um, maybe a renaissance festival or some sort of a show, someplace to connect with your audience. And then the other thing I do is I do all the consulting with uh, Mm -hmm. indies. And I do. I I also own a a small publisher like that. Uh, We do a couple of of, uh, traditional contracts, depending on uh, I've licensed the rights to um, a former a former universe used to be part of the TSR D&D kind of sphere. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I write in there and I've got a couple of co-authors that I signed to that as well. But aside from that, I do a lot of like, um, I do a lot of consulting along with that. And I, I tell them like, so my, my publisher is called Tree Shaker Books. And I had a guy ask me like, what, what's the deal with the name? I said, because I said, here's the brutal hard truth. No publisher cares about your book. Only the person who cares the most is you. If you're not going to shake your own trees and make sales happen, then, then there's no point in us working together um, because you need to be your own biggest fan because I can't invest as much in you interest enthusiasm-wise as you can. So you are your biggest fan. If, if you can't sell these, nobody can. And if yeah. you got to fake it with enthusiasm because you're an introvert, there's stuff to help out with that. You know, you can <laughs> fake it for a day or two. True, true, true. I mean... Yeah, no, I and that's it is that it it requires author participation. Like authors have to create themselves. But, you know, and we're on a tangent here, but you know, to publishers and I think you know this as well, you have to help your author create mm-hmm. their brand and answer their questions because I think um when I say the traditional publishers, I'm talking about the people that, you know, maybe publish your book, maybe give you an advance, hope you make up that money in the advance because they're going to ask for it back if you don't right? Don't really give like, hi, this is what you should be doing. Here are tips to get your audience. Here's how we can help you. And if you're not in that top, like maybe 10%, you're not getting marketed by them, really. They'll throw you in the catalog, but they're not really doing anything to actually sell your books anywhere. So- that's why platform is just so important. Um, I, I tell people, because one of my one of my books um, that I sell quite a bit of copies, and i I started doing this because my well, my wife tells me you got to stop giving stuff away for free. Uh, she's like, you got all this knowledge, so I've been doing. I teach workshops and conferences and that sort of thing on the uh, the publishing side, like how to be an indie, uh, and then a separate one on how to be an indie and make money uh, is different. Like it's different. Making money in marketing is a completely different world than how to get your book in high quality produced. Like the production side is different, and yeah. um, so. Uh, uh, so anyways, I you know, had all these people ask me these questions. A lot of times I'll stand there and talk to somebody for an hour at my booth at a Comic-Con. My wife's like, you got to be selling books, man. What are you doing? Uh, so I wrote a book called The Indie Author's Bible. And uh, so I, and I always tell people, um, because marketing, I said, if there's one thing I could do differently in my entire career, mm-hmm. would to start my newsletter six months to a year before I ever released a book. Start oh, yeah. that, that organic platform. And, uh, and so I tell people, there are two books I always recommend that you buy if you're starting out. One is the Indie Author's Bible, because I have a horse in this race. And the other one, though, is, which I'm saying buy, buy now, even if you don't buy mine, uh, is Tammy Lebrecht's Newsletter Ninja. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's, that'll walk you through. I'm like, that's kind of my go-to. I've, I've, I've sold so many books for her, I've never met her. We've never even emailed. <laughs> but I'm like, this, it's the, the content is that good and it's that useful. Well, and I think as a, we have to create, and I agree with your wife, don't give it away for free. But at the same time, I do agree that we have to create a community of helping each other out because there's too many um, monsters and pitfalls on this road 
that if we don't help each other out and go, hey, do the do do it this way, you know, you're we're not being successful together. Because- Monsters and pitfalls are great. I I literally teach. I, I I'm I'm tracking with you. One of the courses that I teach when I do workshops, instead of monsters and pitfalls, I call it sharks and turds in the swimming pool. I like that. It's it's a little more graphic, but I like it. But you, you know, that's it's exactly true, though. It's like, what? How? How do you help people? Because um, if if you don't give the knowledge that you have, they run into people and they run into vanity presses that will. You know, there are a few um, hybrid vanities. That's what I'm going to call them, where they want you to put a little money into doing it, but they also market and teach you how to market and like actually want to help you with your book. I've run into a few people that have published through those kind of presses. But then there are the vanity presses that just take your money, throw things on and throw a piece of garbage up. And, you know, we have an ongoing joke at my company because there was a cover made by one of these vanity presses for a book. And it is it is so <laughs> terrible. It's funny. It is so bad. Bo knows what I'm talking about. And there's no, no it's, it's actually great. It's great. It's I look at it every day. Yeah, it is. It is what not to fucking do with a cover. Like if, yeah. if, if you want an example of exactly what not to do, this is what not to do with a cover. Um, and but they're totally willing to take people's money. And you get so excited as an author going, oh, my God, somebody wants my work. Somebody wants my art that you fall into the trap of not necessarily putting your business hat on to go is this the right avenue for me? Is this what I should be doing? 100% agree. Yeah, that's okay. that, and that's all that's in my sharks and turds workshop like verbatim. That's what that's uh that's about the sharks that want to take your money and then there's the people that maybe ignorance they don't know any better and they slap together a really bad cover which if you see a really bad cover, you know they didn't do market research and so you know it's probably not edited either. And uh, it's not going to be an enjoyable experience. And you see these, when I talk to people at at shows, especially if it's a show where I'm teaching a panel on this, uh, I always say, if you walk around here at any given show, you will, you will see that one. And there'll be probably a very enthusiastic author wants to tell you about their book. Uh, It's it's good if they actually have a sales pitch down and they can sum it up. You have the elevator pitch and not ramble for 20 minutes uh, looking for a point. But to put the book in your hand, all the right things, you know, you're like, this is nice. But if my kid drew this, I wouldn't put it on the refrigerator. Um, they're at every show. They don't make money. And so they're only at a couple of shows before they go. They're really, it's, it's the whole idea of their enthusiasm. Like, I'm excited because somebody loved me and they signed me to this vanity press. And I didn't know what it was. And now I was at one show. I was talking to a guy. I actually bought his book because I really liked the idea behind it. And I thought I had... Thought it was well done, but I flipped it over and I looked at the the publisher and said, "Hey, tell me how much your books cost." And he's kind of like, oh, "I'm like, well, here's what I do." Uh, kind of told him about who I am, what I do, and I said, "I can tell you what your book costs right now. What if I told you you're you're paying? I think he's probably getting author copies at sixty percent, and uh, and his book was was too expensive. Like your your publisher's making money on you, hand hand over fist. Like you are the client, not not." the people buying books. And that's why uh, that's why they sign people. Because even when you buy books to resell them, they're still making more money than you are. And I did some math there and I said, you have to sell to make your, your cost of table and break even, not including food, travel, hotel. You have to, you have to sell 220 books. And he's like, kind of like, whoa, 
Yeah, I do. I said, yeah, you got to count the cost before you go into these things. Uh, it's you got that business hat you mentioned. If you don't, if you don't put it on first, you I can't. always I I tell people that because and I you brought up a point I freaking hate with publishers, which is this. Like I think as a publisher, you should give your the books at the cost that you would buy them for. Like here's a screenshot from the distributor, however you do it. And I'm a very big fan of print on demand environmentally, because the point you brought up way earlier, look at me going full circle. My, my <laughs> caffeine's kicking in, Bo, you're going to love this is the hardcovers that end up in the dollar store, blah, blah, blah. Is because that company decided to do a print run of X amount of these books without guaranteed sales on them. You know what I mean? And so you go, okay, now we have all these books everywhere that are just kindling and taking up the environment versus print on demand. But I always go, hey, the retail price is this, right? Because you have to set the retail price for wholesalers, which we can get to a whole other conversation with how you actually get into stores. Because I think a lot of indie authors and our independent you know, authors don't realize that you have to have a wholesale return margin to get into the big retailers. They require that. And I learned that one the hard way. <laughs> I guess sucked with returns. Woo. Which returns can be bad, but at the same time, if you don't do that, Barnes and Noble's not going to necessarily put you on their shelf, right? Because right. they need to return it. Luckily, Barnes and Noble is turning to the indie authors and the indie presses and you know, the not the big guys and going, hey, show me what you got because this is what people want. But these kind of things, um, I think when you're selling to your authors, you go, hey, literally, here's a screenshot from the wholesale. This is what you're paying for it. Not wholesale, cost. You shouldn't have the word wholesale in there. It should be, here is the cost. This is how much they charge. This is how much the shipping is. This is your address typed in. Do you want these books? And normally, if you do it that way, they get the books for literally just the cost of them. And then they can make 20 bucks off of them or whatever, depending on how they're priced, you know, mm -hmm. 10, 15 bucks versus $3. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's, uh, it's interesting you brought up like wholesale or not wholesale. Um, uh, you have a big print run. Like I've, I've done print runs. I've done, people always ask, well, who do you publish with? Or who do you print through? You know, usually it's when they, they pick it up and they go, oh, I can tell like by the paper feel or the way they bind, you know, the binding, like, oh, this is a, this one's a KDP. And a lot of times they, people start cause they want to, you know, like I know just enough to feel a little snobby about it. I'm like, well, actually I use like four different printers. And, uh, and a lot of times when I do workshops, I like to explain those things and I'll bring, I think I've got one copy of a book. It's my best selling book uh, where I've got, I got a baker and tailor where I've had a, had a like 1300 uh, book print run on it, uh, which I got uh, literally arrived about a month before COVID hit. So uh, <laughs> That was uh, that that threw a big monkey wrench in my plans. Although um, you know, I've 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 sold them all, uh, so that's you have to know you've done the math and you know when you're going to sell it. But then I also have that in Ingram Spark um, for print on demand stuff. I'm going to send it overseas. There are places where uh, you know where KDP doesn't have the kind, the same kind of a presence that they do. And then uh, or if you want to get into the the bookstores, like I never give a local mom and pop bookstore. I don't ever give them even even. Barnes and Noble or a chain, I don't give them the ISBN for the KDP version because you make more money if Kindle sells the KDP version versus if Kindle sells the Ingram Spark version. 
because you got the distributor fees in there. So if you know where your markets are and how they shop, you can maximize your dollars directly from the source. It's all about eliminating middlemen. And uh, um, and then when you know, they all just pay you differently on their schedule. Uh, so like I can pull out literally uh, three different copies of this same book and say, here's the differences on the paper, on the on the time, the binding type. You can feel the qualitative difference in the books. And then we can talk about the reason why we do these things. And so I, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, like I said, my wife would be like, you need to, you need to go talk to other people because you're, uh, uh, you're, you're now in your own little world and you got to go be in the other world selling, selling books to folks. No, it's true. At Kanji should be, but I, I think it's great and it's great information. And, you know, you have the different presses and I, I hate to say it. I found that the Amazon print books are terrible. Like they tend to make really bad errors in the books and um, they tend to not care that they did that either. Like, you know, they screw it up and then you try to reach out to them and they're like, well, mm, are you sure? I'm like the entire book is printed backwards. Yep. And they're like, oh yeah. I find Amazon never likes to take actual responsibility. There's someone else's in- book inside my book. Yeah. Can you fix it? And they're like, we didn't do that. Yeah, we didn't do that. Well, it came from you. You're like, who did it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you're 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 literally the origination source. Like <laughs> it says Amazon on the box. It used it to be easy. easy. Uh it used to be you just reported that happened and they would literally turn around and they would say, Yeah, you may be required to send these back, and then they never would. Now they do every time. And I don't know that this is a scoop um as you know, as a <laughs> media source, right? But um, I was told, uh, cause now they require everything to get shipped back before they'll credit your account back as people are abusing that. And like, ah, I'll say that they were all bad and get free books when, you know, unscrupulous authors had figured that out. Um, so now they always require it back, but you could just bring them in, ship them back via your, your local UPS store and they would package it and everything. And, uh, I was in there cause that had happened. I get, it's a lot of times my books arrive fine from them, except for their damage from shipping because they, for some reason, Ingram Spark is great with how they package their stuff. Your books always arrive nice and crisp. Amazon, they're like, ah, let's throw all these in there. Like it, it looks like somebody was playing basketball with your books, like across the warehouse, and then they just throw a piece of paper on top and it was like no packaging material. So a lot about every third box I get, I'll have significant damages and returns. And the manager at my local UPS store goes, you know, the word is what we're hearing from their higher ups is that that program is going to go away. I said, so they're going to like require us to package our own and stuff. He goes, no, their word is they're not going to accept returns at all anymore um, on from indie authors. Just like when they were screwing us on uh, on page reads and returns uh, from the Kindle Unlimited program. They're trying to trying to milk and squeeze indie authors for more. And I, this is why I'm very encouraged by the whole um uh, uh, you know, the, the movement that there was to stop doing the, that insane returns policy where, you know, you could return a book indefinitely for your money back for free and you know, screw the authors. Uh, so I think there is a big enough movement with indies that enough people get wind of it and say, hey, that's not cool. You made these, you screwed them up. I ain't paying for this crap. And, you know, in all honesty, I hope indies move to more, um, 
like the Ingram Sparks and the other ones like that that can do the same thing because there's more of those up and coming. And I really do hope they move to that because I also think like Amazon laid off like 30,000 people or something in a lot of these administrative departments, which just means you get less and less service on the stuff that you're doing. And, um, you know, they figured out it is a cash cow. I mean, indie authors sell more books than the traditional published authors for the most part. I mean, there's the top 1% of like Michelle Obama who sells, you know, 100,000 copies, that kind of thing or more. But, um, you know, you have indie authors that eclipse some of the best-selling authors in the world, you know? And that's also because the best-selling which um, we're going to have to take a break in a minute, but I could go on a tangent about best-selling authors and the fucking awards because how much you have to pay to get that award to say you're best-selling. Like, yeah. I'm like, um, no, uh, no, I'm not going to pay $7,000 to be on the New York Times best-selling author list. Thank you. No, I'm good. I was going to do the USA Today one. Uh, and, uh, so like, you know, it's not all that difficult. And, and, uh, I literally the two month period, like right after they had stopped doing it, that's when my book came out and I had all my massive sales numbers for no money, of course, cause you gotta, you gotta price it. So you, you make nothing on it and, uh, to just to move it. And, uh, I'm like, Oh, if I, uh, if, if this would have been uh, literally 45 days sooner, uh, I'd have been able to claim it. I'm like, ah, whatever. Screw it. I don't care about awards. You know how I, I so we've interviewed a lot of US um USA Today best-selling authors, and the majority of them are that because they got on an anthology with a USA Today best-selling author. And once you get in an anthology with them and you're they're published and it says USA Today best-selling author, you're now a USA Today best-selling author. Did you know that? Yeah, there's a fucking bullshit scheme. It it really is. And I don't know, honestly, this would be something that I don't think anyone would ever truly research, but I don't think it makes a fucking lick of difference because they say New York Times bestselling authors, less than 10% of them actually make profits on their books, right? And a way a lot of those ended up happening is the big publishers could. Um, force like Barnes and Nobles and stuff to buy a lot of the books, like a a grouping to say, look, they sold this many copies because Barnes and Noble. And now the new CEO of Barnes and Noble, who I don't know what he's like personally, but presently with his policy changes, I adore, um, went, ah, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. So that's going to change the whole fucking New York Times bestselling list. Like, it's And and it's a good move because it's, like you said, it's all just it's all just garbage. It's people recreating definitions and giving themselves awards. The one thing it does do is it fools people that don't know any better. And so and, and nobody checks. You could just say you could make up some like thing and award it to yourself. And uh, I'm gonna do that and be like, I I don't know, make up some crazy official sounding thing, make a website for it and be like, we award books to like we give this award to the best authors out there and a uh, little tiny, like it'd be a white background and then a white text on the bottom. So you can't read it. It'll like only well, SEO. What can you, pick do it up. Is you set up a website. That's like, um, are you a award winner? Okay. Did you actually edit your book? You know, like did you do this. Okay, good. You're an award winning, you're an award winning author. Like we could totally kill the entire. 
country by handing out those awards, as long as the book is not horrible as far as not content, but you know, like, yeah, yeah we could. Horrible content does sell. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listeners. You know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo! Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform or choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. Um, Bo, I did it again. I took over. I, we got very passionate about things, though. So... <laughs> Um, but Bo, why don't you ask some actual questions since, you know, I can go on these tangents forever. So, oh, you can, I know you can. Well, we were talking about how we all met at a con. What is your best con experience? Ooh, uh, I got roofied in North Dakota. What? (laughs) Oh my God. Do tell this story. (laughs) Yes, please. Uh, Yeah. So, um, my wife was with me, so that made it very fun. Uh, we were, so there's a difference in shows, you know, um, I'm kind of a con expert. Um, I've got a book. If you're an author and you're looking to find out like how to make money at shows, I have a book called sell more books at live events. Um, my, because I do sci-fi and fantasy, find your audience, find those people. So, uh, for me doing sci-fi and fantasy, I'm like comic cons, um, Renaissance festivals, that sort of thing. Like that's my bread and butter, right? Cause it's really difficult. If you go to say a, um, a literary show, most of the people at those literary festivals, they're looking for crime fiction or romance novels. Uh-huh. Uh, Cause those are, those are whale readers in those categories. And you'll find the occasional sci-fi guy, but uh, uh, those people, that's mostly what they're looking for. And so I've discovered it's easier to move somebody on interest uh, to a different medium than it is to move somebody uh, in the medium uh, versus their interest. So people at literary festivals, yeah, I love books. Oh, I don't read any of that ever. They won't pro- they won't cross genres, but people at sci-fi um, like uh, events will cross genres. Like, oh yeah, I play Mass Effect and uh, 